saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. We gather this next hour around the gift of the inspired and true Word of God and the Word made flesh, our Lord Jesus Christ, who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. The light shines on us today from Paul's second letter to the Church of Corinth, chapter 8. Paul says these beautiful words, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that by His poverty we might become rich. This gospel catapults us to extend mercy to our neighbor. And how does that look? We will find out more today. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Brady Finneran, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. A special thanks this morning to Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. To help us to be strengthened by God's word, we have the privilege and honor to have with us Pastor Matthew Harrison, who is president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and also assistant pastor of Village Lutheran Church in Ladue, Missouri. Pastor Harrison, welcome to Thy Strong Word. Thank you, Pastor Finner, and it's great to be with you. Great to hear your voice. It's a, it's a crazy time, but I wanted to start by asking you, how are things going for you, your family, your church, and anything else you want to share? We are tremendously blessed. Of course, we uh, are suffering all of the aggravations that all of us have had recently, but uh, today we resolve to go forward under the grace of Christ and trusting in him, praying for our nation and our president, and uh, we will expect blessings ahead, even in the midst of challenges which are sent for a purpose for us, and we know that to be true. Well, once again, thank you for your time this morning. And let's let's just get into this because I have some uh, important things I wanted you to highlight with this text because I know you've uh, researched it before. But can you begin us in prayer, Pastor Harrison? In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Blessed Lord Christ, you have demonstrated mercy upon many in your earthly walk. You delight in our prayers. You delight it in our showing mercy for other people and those in need. Look with favor upon us as we study your word. Cause it to empower and enlighten us that we may be your apostles, your people, your saints, your merciful ones to those around us. Amen. Amen. Reminder to our listeners today, if you have any questions, you can email us, kfuo at kfuo.org. KFUO at KFUO.org, and uh, we will answer those to the best of our ability according to the clear Word of God, not just our two-bit opinions. So, Pastor Harrison, today we are um, going into 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're doing the first 15 verses, and we could probably talk all day on those 15 verses because you've done extensive research on both chapters 8 and 9. Um, your graduate studies led you to to write the book, Remember the Poor, How the Earliest Christians Cared for the Needy. You also cover it quite extensively in Christ Have Mercy, How to Put Your Faith in Action. And so I wanted you to give us some background information or any introductory things to tell us why these chapters are so important to the church today. Certainly, uh, I'd love to do so. You know, we have all of these passages that we think about under the terms and topic of stewardship, how do Christians manage money. God loves a cheerful giver. The gift is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what a person does not have. Uh, 
uh, you have uh, the text in the eighth chapter here where um, he who became rich became Christ who was rich became poor for our sakes that we might become rich. And it's very interesting. These texts are almost in the church's life, but they're very infrequently used in the context in which Paul actually gave them. And that is uh, in the context of the church having a corporate life of mercy. That is, Paul, uh, especially on his third missionary journey, he's, he's concerned about raising dollars for the poor, suffering Christians, the Christian church in Jerusalem. And it's very important to him. Important to him, and this makes perfect sense. I mean, you have Jesus uh, showing mercy all over in the Gospels, and as uh, you know well, this great word "splachna," this uh, kind of—it's—it's <laughs> it's a word that means uh, visceral, uh, the gut, and it comes to mean in New Testament Greek compassion, deep visceral compassion. And it's used of Jesus a dozen times. You know, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, splachnidzomai, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. It, the splachna is the guts, you know. It's, it's uh, the part of the sacrifice that when the animal was gutted and the guts are thrown on the floor, what is the sound? It's onomatopoeia. It's a word that sounds like what it means, splat. And it's used of Jesus in the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000, the parable of the unmerciful servant, uh, Jesus healing the blind men, and Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Jesus cleanses the leper. Jesus feeds the 4,000. Jesus heals a boy with uh, an unclean spirit. Jesus raises the widow's son. Uh, It's used in the parable of the Good Samaritan. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And uh, there are other references, too. So how does the church, you know, this compassion and Jesus' healing is, is an indication of his, uh, his lordship, his messiahship. He's prophesied to be a healer. But also, the church incorporates this compassion in its uh, corporate life. And it came to do this in a very special way through St. Paul. Uh, how does the early church respond? Well, um, it's amazing. Many people don't realize this, but Paul dedicates a decade to raising funds for poor, suffering Christians in Jerusalem. In fact, he even gives his life to do it. When he's traveling back to Jerusalem at the end of his third missionary journey, uh, Acts 20 gives a list of people who are accompanying him. They're all from churches that have given money. They're going along to make sure that not too much administration or fund development costs are uh, taken out or that Paul is living too high a, a life off of it. And he goes back to Jerusalem, ends up uh, getting balled up with the Jews over some false charges of not following temple rules and it puts him into captivity and ends up appealing to Caesar and I believe dies uh, probably 63 AD at the hands of Nero. So it's a huge part of Paul's life. And uh, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Romans, Acts, 
a number of epistles, but especially the Second Corinthians, shows that it is a part of the church's corporate life intentionally to be merciful. Well, let's let's dig into the text as you explain us so well of the great collection that Paul is gathering, and he is um, speaking to this Corinthian church. And what I'll start with is verses one through three, and we'll talk about that. And and you know. Pastor Harrison, we almost had a bet on how long it would take for you to get to the word splachna. So I think it was four minutes. So I think I lost that bet, unfortunately. So anyways, <laughs> let's get to verses one through three, and we will be reading from the English Standard Version. Paul says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify and beyond their means, of their own accord. Right, oh, sorry, I'm going to stop there. He speaks about Macedonia. Tell us about the Macedonian church. Well, uh, of course, he had received the Macedonian cry and came over to minister to them. Uh, on the second missionary journey, a lot of times uh, we, we know on the second journey that Paul goes farther than the first journey. The first journey is into Asia Minor, Galatia, etc. Second journey he goes farther to new churches, and he's not asking uh, for a collection on that second journey, probably because he's just shown up, and it's bad form for a missionary to show up and uh, immediately ask for money. Paul d- dreaded doing that. It's probably the case, too, that the famine which was incurring, occurring in Jerusalem in 47, 48 AD had subsided considerably. This text is written probably 57 AD. And Macedonia is like, these are the hicks from the sticks. This is uh, Paul's way, bringing up the Macedonians to the Corinthians. The Corinthians are not wealthy, but they're probably in artisans. Uh, they're encouraged by Paul in, in the end of 1 Corinthians to give uh, generously and to do it week by week so there's no big ask finally when Paul comes back uh, for uh, the collection. So they're there, but they're certainly well off compared to the Macedonians. And Paul will use the Macedonians here to shame the Corinthians into stronger giving, which is kind of funny. <laughs> so shaming for not even stewardship, shaming to give. Um, so this is now okay in the church. How would well, you talk about that? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, would it would it be? You know, this is this is what the apostle does. Uh, he he's talking to what? If, what if you go talk to one congregation and say, "This is a wealthy congregation. Look what the congregation down the road gave. They're a lot smaller than you." And uh, they were able to give X, Y, Z, which is quite a bit more than you've raised so far. So would that be wrong? Uh, I don't know. It might be questionable to us, but it was the it was the apostles method. <laughs> so he says the word grace, and that is an important word throughout chapters eight and nine. And it, it, it does get presented a little bit different than normal. Can you speak to that? I know you write about this in, in your books. Tell us about the grace that he talks about in these chapters. Charis. It's given by divine action quite over against works or human activity. And uh, so he, he grounds everything that is received in the grace of God. 
despite what we were just talking about, uh, quite over against works or human activity. So reception of the message of divine favor in Christ has caused something of note among the Macedonians. And the Corinthians are well aware of the significance of grace in Paul's teaching. Mm-hmm. It's the strongest and most characteristic term in Paul's theology. All the blessings hang from it. So, uh, in fact, in chapters 8 and 9, you get it occurring 10 times alone. It's, it's the favor of God in Christ Jesus uh, which brings God to forgive, cancel the debt, and uh, it also causes faith and hope and love to increase in the Christian. So when you talk about the Macedonian church, does this include the whole Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, or is it a different definition of what we would say the Macedonian church is? I don't know for sure. Okay. Uh, I, I, would expect, I would expect so, uh, being the name of a province. And so it talks about a severe test of affliction. Any, any idea what that might be? Well, it's, uh, it's thlipsis, which is the Greek word, and that means uh, it's, it's friction, uh, the heat from affliction. And I think Paul had talked about suffering some difficulties also in Macedonia of persecution. So we must assume it is uh, in that sense, some kind of persecution that is going on. Uh, the, you know, it's a Roman colony. I believe there were a number of uh, military and ex-military people in the region. Um, you know, under Claudius and uh, later Nero, there most of the time the Jews were not persecuted, but there were times when it flared up from from time to time. And so uh, Priscilla and Aquila are kicked out of Rome at the time of Claudius, who rules from about, uh, what, 54 to, um, no, I think that's Nero, 54 to 60-something, certainly through the death of Paul in 63. But... uh, uh, these persecutions would would hit the church from time to time and uh, cause various sufferings. Of course, there was, uh, at the same time, um, there were interesting movements in Judaism because this was the sort of zeal- period of rising zealotism, and the zealots were sort of like terrorists. Well, they were terrorists. Um, Nero wanted to Hellenize. Nero liked things Greek, and he liked to uh, push things Greek upon the provinces, including Jerusalem and Israel. And this aggravated the Jews, particularly the Zealots, and they attacked anybody who compromised with this kind of uh, Hellenization. And that also brought then conflict with Jews in the provinces. So Paul is really 
He's making an argument here of, okay, the back, I think you wrote in one of your books, the backwater, the rural backwater people, okay, that they, they're up there and they are going through severe affliction. They're, uh, and in that affliction, extreme poverty, their abundance of joy overflowed in a wealth of generosity. So the most ironic of situations is that people were willing to give even in the midst of all that. And so it just it makes me think about generosity where we think that we usually are generous in our abundance, but he speaks differently. Any thoughts on that? Uh, it's, it's a remarkable kind of theology of the cross language. In the midst of persecution, they uh, experience joy in the gospel. Hmm. And they're extreme poverty, the word there is the depth, and from the depths of their poverty, uh, a great wealth of generosity flows out. So, um, that's uh, unexpected, and yet that's what Christ produced in the life of those struggling Macedonians. You know, what was the attitude of the apostles when they were kicked out, beaten, kicked out of the Sanhedrin, Acts chapter 5? They rejoiced that they had been counted worthy of suffering for the name of Christ. That's something we Christians, uh, we fat, happy, and wealthy Christians haven't experienced, but uh, we would be blessed to do so, as tragic as it might be. Absolutely. It's totally counter what we would expect, but this goes into that compassion that you're speaking of is the, 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 um, uh, the love of Christ compels us. You know, it talks that way in Second Corinthians, and we get a very clear picture of living a holy life and throughout this. And he kind of just paints a picture of, well, this, this is not going to look normal. And then it gets even more a little bit unique here. And I want to continue through uh, verses four and five, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints, and this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. What strikes me here, Pastor Harrison, is begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. That they, you know, Paul didn't show up and go, okay, I got a great program here. I'm going to tell you about it. Let me convince you. And he had to convince them for a few days. And then they're like, well, okay. They were excited to be able to support the saints in Jerusalem. They were begging us earnestly for the favor of this. Um, thoughts on this? How, how does that work? Yeah, this, despite uh, Paul's tweaking the Corinthians by the Example of the Macedonians, Paul does not like coercion. He always rejects coercion. And coercive acts uh, are uh, anathema to him. He had just said in verse 3, of their own accord, hmm. they gave beyond their means. And then they exhort, paraklesios is what they do, which is kind of a unique word, an exhortation. That's what Barnabas did. It's a encouragement, but it, it comes from a, it's a pretty amazing, it, it's a positive word. They're, they're 
wanting to be part of this thing because they know the the saints in Jerusalem are suffering and it is their great desire to take part. It's I know this when I see it. I see it. You have numerous congregations and uh, more often than not, you have congregations that are aware of needs beyond themselves and they delight in stepping up and covering those needs. And it is a, a really delightful attitude of some Christians, um, many Christians as a matter of fact. And I think one discovers this attitude in the midst of thankfulness for the gospel, thankfulness for blessings, divine blessings, and then practicing uh, giving, which helps you know that you can't outgive God. I remember a guy who was very generous to missions and other things in the church, and he said, you know, Pastor, once I started giving, I, I couldn't shovel it out fast enough. I couldn't outgive God. And that's an amazing kind of attitude. And it's an attitude that uh, comes upon Christians no matter how much they have or don't have, as Paul will come to mention here. Mm-hmm. The issue is not uh, the size of the gift. The issue is simply that you give. And uh, the Lord blesses such gifts enormously. So for two min- about two minutes here, what does he mean by giving themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us? What is he talking about there? Well, I think, I think that has to do with repentance. And uh, the result of repentance is the commending of our lives to Christ. That he is the one who gives all that I have. First article of the creed. It's he who made me, gives me my, all the gifts that I have, eyes, ears, members, etc., like the catechism says, or um, the fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer. He gives those things. Christ gives himself to me, second article of the creed. He's conceived, born, uh, lives, dies, institutes baptism, supper, rises again, will will ascends into heaven, will come again, is interceding with the Father for me. How, how can I not? He has given himself so totally for me. How can I not respond by giving myself in life to him? He said, I came not to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. And so... Uh, Christ awakens those same, although imperfect and often sinfully mixed desires in us. Nevertheless, he awakens in us the same desire to serve and not to be served as the be-all and end-all. So that's what I think. <laughs> well, that's, those are, that's according to the Word of God, so thank you for that. Is We look at this, and I know you wrote in, um, in your book, that generosity is born of one's relationship to Christ. To refuse assistance to the neighbor is to refuse Christ. And I want to talk more about that beyond the break here, but just a reminder for us that if you do have any questions or comments you want to make, you can email us kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org. 
We need to take our break, but we are studying 2 Corinthians chapter 8 with Pastor, Pastor Matthew Harrison. We will be right back. This is the voice of a mother in the faraway country of Georgia, reading to her six-month-old son about Jesus from a Bible storybook written in the Georgian language. The child's Bible was given to her by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, and the Holy Spirit is working powerfully through your support of LHF to make events like these happen every day. Help another family learn of the Savior. Learn how at lhfmissions.org. Being confused is sometimes called getting yourself all turned around, and it's a negative thing. But in the spiritual life, turning is often a positive thing, and music can encourage a person to keep turning, turning, till they come round right. Join us on the next Sing for Joy. Sundays at noon on KFUO, the messenger of good news. Our listeners and supporters are talking about Worldwide KFUO. Yeah, I think your programming is just wonderful. I love the emphasis on the traditional tunes rather than the modern music. Keep up the good work. Thank you. To leave a message on the KFUO comment line, call 314-996-1542. That's 314-996-1542. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Worldwide KFUO. Welcome back. We have the honor of studying 2 Corinthians chapter 8 with Pastor Matthew Harrison. And as we've been talking the first five verses, or I should say studying the first five verses, it reminds me a little bit of what you've talked about, Pastor Harrison, is that when we receive the gifts of Christ, you talk about being an empty sack when we come into worship, when we come in to receive the Lord's gifts, um, he fills that empty sack. And from there, we give that grace and mercy and peace and, and so forth in our everyday life. And that sounds like to me, this is what's happening to the Macedonian church. How would you describe that, Pastor? Exactly. Exactly. I There's no better verse that describes this reality than... 1 John three seventeen. whoever has the beyond to cosmo, the, we recognize beyond as uh, the stuff of life, biology comes from that, whoever has the stuff of the world that, that it takes to live, and he beholds his brother having a need, and this of course is referencing brother in Christ, but there are other texts that tell us to be generous to all, and then especially the household of faith. That's Paul in Galatians 5, I believe. But whoever sees his brother need, and he closes tasplachna autu. He closes his splachna. If he simply won't, he closes up his compassion, and he won't have mercy, 
upon him, Monasist, how can the agape, how can the love of God remain in him? So it is a Christ creates us as little Christ. We are Christians in baptism, and he lives in us and uh, controls us more and more, and this is a gracious compelling which causes us to recognize the need of others around us. Now, it's difficult. It's very difficult to do this. Um, you know, I, I have traveled an awful lot, and you know, there, I've traveled to places where there are beggars just thick and everywhere, and uh, there are professional beggars and uh, all kinds of things going on. So I, I've learned pretty well not to give to people who uh, I recognize as sort of professional beggars or people who are uh, alcoholics or addicts or those kind of things. And also when I, but, but when we come across individuals who are, say, very sick or have uh, leprosy, which I have, and, or need some kind of professional help, whenever we have a church that has uh, some facility to help people, we always refer them to our partners and our friends. So uh, it, it's not a good idea to give to addicts on the street at all. Uh, on the other hand, look, we're so worried about dropping three bucks that uh, we fret all about it and uh, we can be confident that God will work it as he sees fit. Let's continue in verses six through eight. Accordingly, we urge Titus that he has, that as he has had started, so we should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Now, Pastor Harrison, I was talking to our pastor yesterday about this, is that 2 Corinthians is one of those books you tend to... You don't overlook it as if you don't want to read it or something, but there's a lot of stuff that we continually go back to in 1 Corinthians, and then 2 Corinthians kind of comes, and and we know it mainly because of 8 and 9, and often it's be done because of stewardship type of things, which you mentioned. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that is interesting about this is I've you know I've done a number of stewardship things, and, and I've heard a lot of stewardship things, and I've, I've yet to really ever hear people emphasize that this act of giving is an act of grace. So explain that to me, because I always think of grace as, you know, God's riches at Christ's expense. And now you're talking about my giving as an act of grace. How does Paul put this together throughout these chapters? It's a bit of a mystery. So <laughs> uh, accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, Titus is down there in Corinth and he's still working. So he, so he should complete among you this act of grace. Of course, the word act is not in the text. It's simply complete this grace, hmm. which is kind of uh, interesting, isn't it? Is it, a, is it an act of grace in the sense that God gives, gives this to be done? God, it's God's working, God's action? Uh, is it a grace in the sense that it is a gift from the Corinthians to the suffering saints in Jerusalem? It's probably it's probably both. It doesn't happen without the gospel. 
it it is motivated by the gospel. It's something that the gospel results in. Um, so Paul exhorts here, paracline again, that word from which we get paraclete, the Holy Spirit. It's used here in a technical way to refer to men who are appointed to act as representatives either legally or politically. And there's, a, there's an interesting... I mean, the flesh would see taking up a collection as an exaction. But for Paul, it's a matter of grace. Hmm. Um, but as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and all earnestness. So here Paul is flattering them, which is kind of funny, you know. The Corinthians were, were his biggest problem. <laughs> and yet he, he flatters them. He sees the things that the Lord has worked for good among them. Isn't that rather amazing? Um, and he knows that they indeed have and are well gifted. Even in First Corinthians, he mentions that. Even in the midst of all those problems, which they seem to have worked to try to clean up by the second letter. And uh, it's, it's interesting, in these texts, he's turning a little bit to sort of official language that is noted in the contemporary writing. So he uses the word, for instance, spudice, earnestness. Um, and that's a term that occurs in Paul in a number of places, that, that it's a gospel-wrought diligence, eagerness, mm. I desire... Mm. A lot of, you know, a lot of pastors get into the idea that you, the pastor shouldn't be concerned about business affairs or uh, kind of uh, administrative issues and those kind of things. And thank God when we don't have to get involved in those things and we have the people around us who can and, and uh, do those things. I certainly do in my positions and have always had them. Nevertheless... Uh, I remember that Paul uses this word in 1 Corinthians 12 where he talks about the diverse gifts and those who lead proestaminos, those who are standing in front of, and that means pastors are to do, to, do so with spudice, hmm. this gospel-wrought eagerness and uh, desire for excellence in administrative and business practice. And that's, you know, he, he speaks here in, in such a way, and I, and I love how you're saying that because it is something where when we think of the church, you think of the Macedonian churches, that everything they did was to, um, I guess you say, do the mission, to point people to Christ. And all of this, it shouldn't surprise us that when people give, when they're doing leadership type things, administrative type things, that we're seeing this as an act of grace because that's why the building is here. That's why we gather as God's people is because of the mission, which is Jesus and him crucified. Um, all of it is interconnected. You know, I'm not saying that there's no law or something, but just saying it makes sense that I'm giving my Lord Jesus has given to me. This is an act of grace. How does that all connect? Like you said, we don't really fully know, but it, it's really quite um, compelling to think about 
when we talk about stewardship and we talk about giving to the poor and those 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 things that he's speaking about here is to see it as an act of grace is I think quite helpful um, as we preach and teach and and do the work of the Lord. Um, any last thoughts on that before we get to eight and nine? Um, no, I think we can roll on. Let's do it. Verses eight and nine. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by you, you so that you by his poverty might become rich. So Paul does a move here. First of all, he says this is not a command. Once again, conviction, not coercion, is the goal of Paul. But then he points them to what love does Paul, and what love does this generosity come from? Speak to that about his argument, I guess you say his Christological argument here. Yeah, it's delightful. And, and to know that this argument is given specifically to encourage Christians to be generous together as church to other Christians who are in particular need in this case. And this is one of, this is a happy switch text. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was Ignatius who first uh, had the happy switch comment, but Luther called this a fröhliche Wechsel. Uh, you know, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Mm-hmm. What a delight. I mean, Get what's going on when when Paul says that in Second Corinthians Second Corinthians five, uh, Jesus Christ is called sin, in the same text where it says he who knew no sin that's Jesus, is called sin, hmm. something he doesn't deserve whatsoever. And why is he called sin? Because he takes on himself our sin, all of it, all the sin of the whole world dies for the sin of the world, and even according to Paul's use of the word justification, he objectively justifies the world. The world's sins are paid for. That blessing comes to the individual when the individual simply believes it, simply grabs hold of it by faith. And it's a happy switch because it's like a marriage, you know, uh, she gets everything that is mine, and she keeps everything that's hers. No, that's not it. <laughs> it's in the Bible. Wait, no. Everything <laughs> everything that is mine is hers, and everything that is hers is mine. And we have this happy switch with Christ. So, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. That is fantastic. And of so course, me, the, do, the riches he's what, talking about are eternal yeah. riches of forgiveness and life and salvation. And that goes into, this might be an idea too, that when we get done with worship, we do the benediction and we are able to tell people, you are now rich in the gifts of Christ or something like that. Um, I'll have to think about that, but that's something to think about. You come in poor and you leave rich. What do you think? I agree completely. That's the That's the sort of metaphor of the sack that I always love to use and it is wonderful you come into worship with an empty sack and you confess dear God I'm a sinner again I got an empty sack (laughs) and what happens the absolution says in the stead and by the command of Christ forgiven and then the texts are thrown in with uh, 
a load of gospel and then the preaching is done and you are forgiven right then and there even as you're condemned by the law then forgiven right then and there on the spot i tell you in the name of jesus christ your sins are forgiven and as it's spoken in the sermon it is actual and for pete's sake don't let your pastor simply preach about jesus and about the gospel and about the history of the gospel make him say it to you i tell you right now your sins are forgiven that's why they got ticked off at jesus which is easier to say your sins are forgiven arise take your mat and go they were ticked off because he forgave sins that's our job for pete's sake and then the same thing, the sack is filled up with body and blood for the forgiveness of sins, and you, all the way through the benediction, and then you leave church with a full sack, and as so, soon as somebody uh, sins against you or you end up in a foul, sinful mood, you start, you know, you, you soak up all that grace and mercy that is given to you. You're in the constant state of grace indeed, but you come back to church next Sunday, as God has commanded us to do often and you receive it all over again so you can dispense it yourself in your life. And, you know, I've you know, difficulties in families, a lot of, you know, a lot of the Missouri Synod is German descent and uh, Northern European. Well, that crowd is not really good at speaking, opening their mouths and speaking forgiveness to each other and their families. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that, without doing that, we end up contradicting what goes on in su- on Sunday uh, with what goes on in our homes. And that, that causes uh, consternation and perhaps even the loss of faith. And that's where we receive these gifts, and, and Paul continues to speak words of, um, I don't want to say motivation. That's kind of what he's doing from here on out. He's given the Christological argument He's pointed us back to Jesus. He's shown how this has manifested. For example, you can just imagine the Macedonian um, churches because you hear the stories in Paul's missionary journey. A lot of people didn't want to hear this message. So, you know, Thessalonica and Berea and and, uh, Philippi. I mean, these were not places that just welcomed him and said, hey, come on in. This is wonderful. But but God's word worked and, and the grace was given. And it bore fruit, even in the midst of persecution, as we talked about. And now he's kind of, he's throwing this back to the Corinthians, and he kind of gives a motivational move here. That would be my argument. I'd love to hear your thoughts as we read 10 through 12. And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness and desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. So I see this, I mean, I want to hear your thoughts. I see this as kind of him saying, we can do this, finish it well, we can do this. The last year's been rough. I've sent you a, a, a painful letter. I've had a painful visit but now we're seeing the comfort of our Lord, the grace of our Lord. We can do this. What are your thoughts? Yeah, exactly. And remarkably enough, he doesn't pull the uh, number. You know, you got to hit this number. Mm. Uh, again, Paul detests uh, giving by compulsion. He loves cheerful giving, 
God loves a cheerful giver. And that means one who enjoys giving. When we give, whatever we do, it's it's impossible to keep sinful thoughts from welling up in us. And it's it's in my own life, it's a real indication of my own wretchedness that just go through Christmas and analyze your own heart as you go through uh, gift giving and receiving. <laughs> Why didn't I get the nicest gift? Why did they give him that gift? Well, why isn't that child recognizing my gift? Why is my child why is the child playing with that person's gift more than my gift? Why did why did that child go over there and kiss that grandparent and not this one? You know, it's just a falderall of nonsense and sinfulness. That's why we just say, dear Lord Christ, I'm a sinner, forgive me, and keep your mouth shut, and uh, pray the Holy Spirit give you positive thoughts, because you're a wretched sinner. So, yeah, he he likes, uh, loves to have this a free act of giving, and the gift is acceptable not according to what one does not have. It's... Uh, it's very fascinating. He doesn't call for a tenth or a tithe. He just calls for generosity. And that is something that Christians, uh, we know from his earlier indications on giving and for end of 1 Corinthians, I think, that it's a deliberative act that Christians should go through there and think about what they want to do, determine to do it, do it, and know that the Lord will bless, guaranteed. Now, I'm, I'm rethinking about this because we usually use these texts explicitly for stewardship, a lot of times for a campaign. We need a new parking lot. We need new chairs. Um, God loves a cheerful giver. Excel in the grace of giving, we will use. What is your encouragement? And we will get to the rest of the verses, but I am seeing this not in according to what he does not have, according to what a person has. How would you encourage a congregation to use these texts faithfully to how Paul used them? Well, I think study the texts and take a look at mercy in your congregation. It is simple on the one hand and can be very com- complex on the other. Uh, what's happening in your own parish? Is there something, are there needs that are going on within the church that the congregation might need? Might the church, might the congregation be an intermediary in helping elderly people get the care they need? What's going on with young mothers and children in your congregation? What's going on in the community around your congregation? What are the perceived needs? A congregation cannot do a ton of stuff in most cases. Some have great capacity. But what we can do is take a look at a certain uh, issues of potential need, and then also look at them from the perspective of tying that work together clearly and closely with the gospel of Christ. Now, contributing to a, neighbor, a crisis pregnancy center uh, and participating in the life of that fantastic for congregations and individuals, all those kind of things, um, especially taking a look internally at needs is a very profound and important Aspect uh, in my book, Christ Have Mercy. There's a little, there's a chapter or two there on doing so. I think one time I heard, I think it was you that said, 
a lot of times when we think about the service of those who are closest to us, and you're referring to the church, that this grace and uh, service and mercy that flows from that kind of, it will bubble over into your everyday life as far as those who are in need. So obviously we want to serve our neighbors, but a lot of times that just bubbles over and and, uh, within us, obviously the Holy Spirit and God's grace that extends to our everyday life. So it's not like we're denying our neighbors, but it just keeps going and bubbling, just like the Macedonians and how they're doing all this. Um, any, any last thoughts on that? Yeah, it's interesting. Paul doesn't Paul doesn't say, let's do this so we can grow. Uh, <laughs> he, he, he says this because Christ is who Christ is. And for you, uh, I I know a congregation where they've, they've really gotten, in the last number of years, a lot of converts, millennial converts. And one of the things they're doing, along with speaking just very plainly and uh, strongly about uh, what the texts actually say and strong texts of the Christian faith, but there's an organization that was put together of young women, and once a week they come together. Pastor does a very substantive, brief Bible study, and then they are handed the names of individuals in the congregation, sometimes outside the congregation, who need some loving, mm-hmm. who need a visit, who need some help getting prescriptions, who need this or that, and they take off after the Bible study, and sometime during the week, they see to the need of that person. And then they come back the next week, study the scriptures, and uh, they get the names, and they do it again. And it has been a very, very meaningful effort for them to love people in their congregation around them because of who they are as Christians. And as I said, according to what a person has, and those ladies obviously have that ability. We have about five, about four minutes here left, Pastor, so I want to read the rest and have our final thoughts. Verse 13, for I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. So about four minutes left here, Pastor. What are your thoughts on those verses? And then we'll wrap it up after that. Yeah, it's an, it's an interesting reference to the children of God wandering in the wilderness and picking up the manna. And the weak and the the children, some could pick up no manna, and others were strong and could pick up far more than they needed for a day. And they shared what they had. It's interesting that the text translates um, not with equality, but fairness. And so there's not a... The the Bible, both Old and New Testament, uh, confesses and asserts private property. It is not evil in and of itself to be wealthy or to earn significant dollars. But within that context, we want uh, folks to share what they need to for the needy that they may be fairly cared for. And so that's what Paul is on about. Um, Part of the reason why they were raising dollars for the, the church in Jerusalem is because the uh, early attempt at communism didn't go that well. So maybe that's a big topic to talk about at the end. But 
Uh, we have about two minutes here. How would you describe these verses in chapter 8 in a word or two or in a summary statement? How would you, how would you describe that? Uh, I would describe them if I got to my notes in the right spot. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, um, they gathered some more, some less, but when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered mm. little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat, Exodus 16. So when the Old Testament people of God gathered the manna that, the, that fell, they did not all gather equal amounts, yet all ate. So in the church, all are cared for by sharing the provisions God supplies. It's significant that Paul applies this text speaking of the Old Testament people who were in one locale. And now Paul uses this text to talk about the whole church over great distances in the Mediterranean. Isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. And there are all kinds of red flags that come up. If we start doing this, why, people will expect it or, you know. Yeah. And but one, one can, pastors often have a, a crisis fund, which they quietly administer for people who get into trouble in some circumstances. Uh, that can be challenging. You don't want to facilitate um, bad behavior, those kind of things. Oh, but we worry we so much about here. that that we end up not being generous. God calls us to be generous. Pastor Matthew Harrison, president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, helping us today with 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Pastor Harrison, thank you for being our guest. Thank you. God bless you always. Thank you. I'm your host, Pastor Brady Finnern of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell. God calls you to be generous because of the generosity of our Lord Jesus. Thank you for joining us this morning, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hands.